Tonight's reading is from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown. Thanks for worshiping with us tonight. As Bo just read for us, not only are we in a season of Advent, uh, but we are going through and finishing up in the book of First Peter. And we are finishing up in chapter 5 this week and next, and then we'll have a special Christmas service on the 18th and a, a special Christmas sermon and message talking about when our living hope was born uh, and what it means that Jesus was born and God came in the flesh. Uh, but tonight we have some work to do on those first five verses in First Peter chapter 5. So if you haven't already, please open up to First Peter 5 in your Bibles. Um, that's where we'll be. There will be a few things up on the screen, um, but not all of it. So if you would turn in your Bibles there, and if someone would just let me know if the um, music stand catches on fire while I'm preaching, that would be good. I'm going to try to keep my distance here uh, to not be too distracting and stay away from the, the fire. I don't know about you, but one of the things I enjoy this time of year is end of year lists. Maybe you got your Spotify uh, unwrapping already where it shows you what you've been listening to this year and maybe you're mortified by how many times you listen to Taylor Swift. Uh, I love checking out year-end lists, the best books, the best music, the best news stories. Uh, there are certain columns that come out of the end of the year that I look forward to from certain writers as they recap the whole year. Well, one of the things I look forward to this time of year is um, the Oxford Dictionary picks their word of the year. Um, and they, they go off of now search, um, searches online, um, and relevance in the culture and the amount we see it in the media. And I don't know if you caught this or not, but the year for 2022, or the word for uh, 2022, ready for it? Gaslighting. Gaslighting is the word of the year. If you're not familiar with the word gaslighting, the Oxford definition is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Oxford, in their justification for picking this word, said in this age of misinformation and of fake news, conspiracy theories, Twitter trolls, and deep fakes, gaslighting has emerged as a word for our time. Let's just do better next year, right? Let's, let's, let's get a better word up at the top for next year. It's very unfortunate. But it's indicative of the public discourse we see in our society. If we're on social media, we're in the media. And this has uh, brought about an erosion in our trust of leadership. Some of this lack of trust we have in leadership is probably warranted and can be difficult for us to trust those in leadership, and some in leadership have kind of earned that, that right to be doubted. Um, but sometimes it's not justified. 
We live in a culture where leadership is immediately, uh, we're skeptical of it. We have trouble trusting in it often. Tonight, we are going to see what the leadership in the church should look like when the church and its leaders have a living hope. Peter's thesis for this entire book has been what it looks like when a people have a living hope. It's what he starts out talking about. He writes to the elect exiles who are spread out away from where they've originally come from. And he wants to show them that they can have a living hope due to the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And then, as we've seen throughout the course of this fall and now into the winter, he's been showing us what a living hope looks like as it pertains to politics, as it pertains to work, as it pertains to marriage, as it pertains to how we view our suffering. And tonight, he starts off First Peter 5 by showing us what a living hope looks like when it comes to leadership. And we can extrapolate that out and say that he is also showing us what it looks like when a group of people together have a living hope and how it impacts how they treat one another. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, thank you that we have an opportunity to hear from your word tonight. Father, we look forward to what you would have for us. And God, we confess we need to hear from you in this Week two of Advent, we have a a time of repentance and, and thinking about your holiness and thinking about how we fall short of that holiness. God, we need your help. We confess we need your help tonight. We need your help to understand. We need your help to believe. We need your help to respond, to obey, to do what you say. And God, in a world where we can become skeptical of leadership, we pray that we would look to your scripture to see what leadership should look like in all of us, the elders of this church included, we pray that we would be a humble people submitted to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So First Peter chapter 5, we'll start with verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he tells us quite a few things here. First, he says he is exhorting the elders. Let's make sure we clarify first what an elder is. Uh, An elder was described and sometimes named in the Old Testament. We'll talk more about the specific instance when we first see it in scripture at the end when we get into the application of this sermon. But it was typically the oldest man or the oldest believer in a tribe, in a family. They were the elder by age mostly, but also elder in the faith. And they would lead, first of all, their home. And then they would lead God's people. And then they would sometimes be added to their authority. So this was something that existed in the Old Testament. And it's a pattern for the New Testament church as well. When we look at the book of Acts, it says that John and Peter and Paul, they went around. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they set up these different churches all over the known world eventually. Uh, The spirit came at Pentecost and the church was born. The New Testament church was born and the church spread out over the known world. And it says in every town, elders 
were appointed. And not only in every town, but in every church, in every group of people, elders were prayed for, appointed, committed to the Lord. So this is an example we see in the Old and New Testament. A couple of things of note. We don't have a lot of time to get into this. We talked about it a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 3. But the, the name elder or the position of elder or however it's described in the New Testament is always male and it is always plural, which is interesting. It's always elders. The elders among you. Elders were appointed in every church. We also need to take note here of how Peter describes himself. He says, I'm writing to the elders among you. And he says, I am a fellow elder. He is placing himself on the same level as these elders. And he's saying, I'm an elder in the church. And you are also an elder in the church. And then he says something else that's true about them. And as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, this is interesting on a couple of different notes. One, Peter really was a witness to the sufferings of Christ, seeing the time of his arrest, the time of his beating, possibly even the time of his crucifixion. We don't really know about that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and he's saying they were too. But for some of these people, that is not true. And in fact, it's most likely most of them were not there to actually witness the sufferings of Christ, yet... He is identifying with them as a fellow elder, and he is identifying them to him by saying, I witness the sufferings of Christ, and you bear witness to the sufferings of Christ. It is as if you saw Christ suffer himself. Because what Peter is doing in this letter is he keeps going back to Jesus as the example. As the example of how to lead, as the example of how to suffer well, as an example of how to lay down his life for another— Jesus is the example, so but because of that, they share in the sufferings of Christ. He starts out here by saying, I exhort, I exhort the elders among you. This is an interesting word that we need to take a, a minute to talk about. The word exhort. This is a command to listen, but there's different ways to say listen. And there's different Greek words for different kinds of listen. There is a passive asking someone to listen where you just say, listen to me. And maybe people listen to you or maybe they don't. There's behold, which is the author or the person saying it, saying you need to stop what you're doing and you need to take pause and you need to meditate on what's about to happen. There is a harsh command, listen, like if kids are being too loud and you have to raise your voice to get their attention. This word in Greek is none of those. The word exhort means draw near so that you can hear me. It's draw near so that you can hear what I'm going to say. So I exhort the elders among you. He has something that he wants to say to them and he identifies with them. Let's look at the command that he gives them in verse 2. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Okay, let's pick this apart and see what his command is to them. First, it is shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. So first, these elders were among a group of people. 
there are some commentators that go all the way to say, and this isn't a major stretch or a crazy thought, that these men were actually, these elders were most likely leading churches in homes, house churches. So he's literally saying the people that are among you think your community group, not just your church. So he's exhorting the elders among the people, particularly, or maybe in these house churches. And he's saying shepherd and oversee the people among you. So there's three different kind of things he's saying here. He's saying elder, which is more like a position. And it primarily means the eldest among you, but it also means those in spiritual authority over you. So that's more like the role or the office, but then he gives them two verbs to do. He calls them also a shepherd and one who exercises oversight. He connects these two words in a meaningful way, and he's not the only one. When the New Testament talks about elders, it always talks about them shepherding, but then doing some kind of overseeing role. So there's a relational component, but then there's also a leadership component of what's going on as he's talking about what these people are actually doing. And his command is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd your flock, the one in your care. I think there's a lot of things wrapped up in his imperative to shepherd the flock of God among you. First, he wants them to first look at those immediately around them and be responsible for those closest in their care. A lot of times we can think big picture, especially as we become a a leader and we start thinking about how do I change the world? And Peter is saying, make sure you take care of those that are under your care, the flock of God that's among you. I think also in this imperative, he is saying to them, don't try to shepherd someone else's flock. Don't worry about what someone else is doing. That's me and the other apostles. We'll take care of that. But shepherd the flock of God that is among you right here and right now. Then he lays out three things, a compare and contrast, when he says, not out of compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but with eagerness, and not domineering, but serving as examples. Before we go into each one of those and why he's laying out this compare and contrast, the first thing that we need to note is that character is always attached to the office and function of elder in the New Testament. In fact, when it lists the qualifications of an elder, in every place in the New Testament, there is one skill listed and 20-some character traits. We're told in the New Testament that an elder in the church, a pastor in the church, needs to have the ability to teach. That's the one ability that's listed. Everything else is a character trait. And here Peter is very much in line with Paul, as he writes about elders, by listing the motivations. They should have a character that leads to the right motivations for leading God's people. And he lays out three temptations here that elders may have and the anecdote for them. So first, not out of compulsion, but willingly. So the question needs to be asked, why would someone feel compelled or compulsory uh, forced into being an elder or choose to be an elder? Well, it could be that these men feel like, well, I'm the oldest guy in the group or in my house church or in this church, but I don't really want to lead. He's saying, don't do it from that motivation just because you're the oldest guy there. He's saying, don't let others compel you. Don't let others try to convince you that you should lead. 
I don't know about you, but I've been asked to lead things before I felt like I was ready before. He's saying, don't, don't be motivated by that. But he says, but willingly, but willingly. In just a moment, we're going to talk about where Peter is getting that willingness and where he's commanding that willingness for them. Then he says, not for shameful gain, but with eagerness. He's saying, don't try to gain something for yourself. There's a lot of things that you can gain by being a leader. You can make decisions. Possibly you even have access to funds. There are things that can motivate you that are for personal gain. Maybe everyone looks to you. Everyone listens to you. Everyone comes to you. He says, don't do it for shameful gain, but do it out of eagerness. Be eager to lead, be eager to sacrifice, be eager to serve God's people. And then he really gets into how they do it, not domineering, but serving as examples. He's talking about here by leading through example instead of just leading with words or office, but leading from a place where they are setting an example for the flock. He's saying, don't go by the whole mantra of don't do as I, don't do as I do, but do as I say. He's saying, actually, you should want the church to follow you as you follow Christ. Lead by examples. Also, he is telling them, he's connecting this to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Live among the people and influence them through your behavior and how you act and set an example for them. Don't live outside of the flock and tell them how they should be living their life, but live among them. Let's look at verse four, where he talks a little bit about their motivation. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. A living hope for the church and the leadership of the church comes from the same motivation in the same place as a believer gets their motivation for sanctification and has a living hope. That motivation is in the future coming of Christ. The kingdom fully coming, the king returning for his people and setting up his ruling rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth. Once again, Peter says this is their motivation and this is not the first time that he has said so in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's their motivation to have a living hope. Verse 13 in the same chapter says, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's saying that their motivation could, 
should come from the fact that they live in the last days and one day their king will return and he will judge the living and the dead and that should be their motivation. That should be the thing that causes them to be willing to lead and willing to sacrifice. That's the thing that should give them eagerness to serve. That's the thing that should motivate them to serve as an example for the flock. And then he uses a very unique term for Jesus here. Throughout the book, he said Jesus, at the glory to be revealed in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then here, look at what he calls him in verse 4. The chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. He's telling them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, but you serve and you are subjected to a chief shepherd that will then judge you as a leader. He is your chief shepherd. He is the one who leads the church. And no matter what your church polity is or what the elder structure is of a church, those elders better be in submission to the chief shepherd, to the lead and senior pastor of everything, Jesus. And they will be judged according to that and by that chief shepherd. It's also encouraging and also a sober reminder that Jesus is in charge of this church. And he cares for the flock more than your elders in our human effort ever could. Ephesians 4 verse 13 paints a picture of the church being sanctified into the fullness that God intends for it. And it says that that fullness is found only in Christ as our chief shepherd. And it says, in the end, we will receive an unfading crown. Unfading crown. This Greek word, unfading, is amaranth. Amaranth. And that amaranth, it's an actual flower. It's a flowering plant, the amaranth. And Greek, in the Greek, in biblical Greek, they use that word and it means unfading. And the reason is because this flowering plant flowers brilliant red petals, like this poinsettia, but even more brilliant. And the thing is at Thanksgiving, uh, Bo and I were not around to water the plants. Let's be honest, Bo. Bo wasn't around to water the plants. <laughs> Bo waters our plants. Big shock to all of you, I'm sure. And he walked in and these were supposed to be on the stage last week but they were fading. They were wilting because we didn't water them the whole week. The amaranth doesn't fade. The bright red petals stay on it until they fall off of the plant, but they stay brilliantly red until that time. He's saying that's the kind of crown that you will receive. Again, going back to the language of chapter One, when he says our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. As a leader, you can be tempted to go for temporary gain. Temporary applause. Temporary followship. People following you. Temporary influence. You say the word and people do what you say. You can be tempted by the short-term gain, but Peter here is saying when the chief shepherd appears, you will get something that is imperishable and unfading and undefiled if you lead well. Verse five. Likewise, 
You who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Something in your mind should, a flag should go up when you read likewise, right? First Peter chapter 3 Verse 1, verse 7, we saw this likewise. It refers back to a previous concept. It refers back to something. It says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That likewise is referring to three different things. One, it is, again, it's saying the shepherds of the church are submitted to the chief shepherd, so likewise, younger people subject yourself to the elders because they're subjected to Christ. So that's one likewise. The second likewise is have the same humility as Christ had, who, though he deserved everything, laid down his life for another. The third likewise is here because he is saying, he's going to go on to say, all of you are supposed to clothe yourself with something. You're supposed to put a certain kind of attitude on. He says, be subject. Likewise, be subject. We've seen this language of be subject. And if we go back to the sermons on marriage, we know that this means place yourself under. Not be subjected by your leadership, but subject yourself to the leadership that God has put in place in the church. And then he says, all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. In the Greek, this phrase is gird up yourselves with humility. Maybe if you were here when we talked about this from chapter one, you remember the illustration of that we are supposed to gird up the loins of our mind. Peter mixes his metaphors. And we talked about how girding up your loins was where a Jewish man or any man in a tunic in the first century would literally gather up his dress-like outfit so that he could move his legs freely. Previously, Peter has used that for a metaphor of being sober-minded, thinking about what we're thinking about, having mental discipline. Here, he says, gird up your mind, so take care of what we're thinking about, and do it with humility. Prepare your mind with humility. That's what he's telling us. The whole church, leaders, the church, the older, the younger, the men, the women, the adults, the children. Clothe yourself, all of you. Prepare your mind with humility. Why this emphasis on humility? Because it unlocks the work of the Spirit in our lives. At the core of so many instructions, the one another's from the New Testament, the imperatives that we're told, this is how you're supposed to act in light of the gospel, the instructions of what a biblical community should look like, the instructions for the household and the workplace and for society that Peter has been laying out here, it's all locked up in humility. The likewise that we keep reading, we can insert there, humble like Christ. Likewise, be humble like Christ. Clothe yourselves with that humility. So, how do we apply this to our lives? How do we lead with a living hope? First, we cultivate humility. We cultivate this humility that Peter is talking about. In light of what Peter is writing here, 
we should not just take Peter's word for it, but we should make sure he's setting an example in humility. If you know Peter's story, and if you've read the Gospels, Peter didn't always nail the humility thing. But apparently, he's learned it over time. So we should ask the question, how did Peter cultivate humility? We see he has humility, not just because he tells the elders to have humility, but let's look back at verse 1 of 1 Peter 5. He identifies with the local elders of these house churches as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. This is an interesting list of qualifications that Peter is giving them for the command that he is just about to give them. This is interesting because Peter could have just said one word, apostle, or if it's two words, Jesus's bestie. That's the qualifications he could have given for himself. I was there, man. When they arrested Jesus, I cut off that dude's ear and I said, no way, Jesus, this is not happening. He could have listed a lot of other qualifications, apostle, one of Jesus's best friends, there for the transfiguration Therefore, Jesus' arrest. But instead, he identifies with Christ and with those that are below him. He sets an example of humility. He identifies with local, unknown elders that didn't even get their names in Scripture. How does he cultivate this kind of humility? Three ways. One, the example of Jesus. Peter can set an example for the church because he spent time with the chief shepherd and he saw the chief shepherd lay down his life for the sheep. We don't have time to get into this now. We're going to go through the Gospels uh, next year. Um, But in the book of Mark... James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of Jesus' disciples, come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we have something we want to ask you. We want to ask you for a favor. We want to sit at your right hand when you rule and reign and the kingdom comes. Jesus says, that is not for me to decide. The Father decides that. And then Jesus called together his disciples, and this is what he tells them. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord their leadership over them, and their great ones exercise authority over the people. But it shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter can lay down his life for the church and he can instruct the leadership of the church to lay down their life for the church because he saw his savior, his king, lay down his life for him and for all of us. So first, Peter cultivates humility by way of Jesus' example. The second thing that Peter sees is he sees what it looks like to be restored. Jesus restored Peter because Peter, once again, 
blows it. Because Peter sees that humility and sees who Jesus is and he tells Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. And then when Jesus is arrested, we probably know the story. Peter denies Jesus. He says he doesn't even know him three times. But then after the resurrection, Jesus invites Peter and the other disciples, his friends, to breakfast in John chapter 21. This is what he says to Peter after he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Three times Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death Peter would do to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said, follow me. Peter blew it three times and more. Jesus spoke into that betrayal, healed that shame, forgave Peter, and then the greatest miracle of all is he invited him to follow him and keep making disciples. Peter blew it in his leadership opportunity and Jesus restored him and gave him something to do. And from that point forward, Peter was a different guy. He learned what it, mean, what it meant to be restored. So he cultivated humility through Jesus' example, through being restored, and then lastly, through repentance. Through an awareness of his fallen short nature. That's what we are talking about this week, the second week of Advent, repentance. Peter learned to be restored by Jesus and repent of his sin. And this is God's intention for the church as well. We would be a people that is cultivating humility in our life as we look to our chief shepherd in a way where we can confess sin, repent of sin, forsake sin, talk about sin, because we have cultivated in us humility. So that's the first thing. How do we lead with a living hope? By cultivating humility. The second is we be a good leader by being a good leader right where we are. These instructions are given specifically to the elders, but then he tells the church what the church should look like. They should clothe their minds with humility towards one another. God's intention is that we, the whole church, would learn and know that this is the way leadership looks like in the church. You would think that the church should understand what healthy leadership looks like above and beyond anything the world can comprehend. But unfortunately, that is not always the case. Peter lays out for us how we are to treat one another in the church and how we are to interact with one another. And it's as a people with a living hope. And he is calling us to lead well right where we are. And before we kind of land the plane here and we talk about our last two points, I I just want to encourage you 
as the church to lead out right where you are, right here, right now. You may see these instructions to elders in the church and be like, well, I'm not an elder in the church. I'm not one of the oldest in the church. A couple things about that. One, first off, some of you are getting old. (laughs) Some of you are getting old. I had a major wake-up call about a year ago when Josh Havman told me, you're getting old. In love, he told me, you're getting old. He went on to expand. He's our executive pastor and also a friend, and I was meeting with him, and he went on to explain, not only am I getting old, but he's like, you need to see that there are a lot of people younger than you, and you've been leading for a long time, so act like it. You're older. People look to you as an elder. I still don't feel that way. I still feel like the youth pastor guy. I'm the youngest elder, and I often feel like the youngest elder. I want to encourage you, church, to lead right where you are. There's someone in this church that needs to follow you as they follow Christ. And Peter is showing us here how we lead other people. And if we cultivate this humility, this repentance in our life, then people are going to follow us. I want to encourage you to lead out right where you are. If you've been a believer for six months, disciple someone that just became a believer. If you've been married for a year, disciple someone that's just getting married. We all have the opportunity to live out this kind of leadership right where we are. Third, Peter's instruction here is to submit to humble leaders. He says, the younger among you be subject, place yourself under the elders of the church. I like the way this is spelled out in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Goes on in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. We don't have time to go into all of this, but this is really a great summary or companion with what Peter is saying in First Peter. Submit yourself to leaders who are speaking the words of God, who are setting an example for the flock, They are submitted to Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led away by false teaching, so know what God's word says. Don't just take their word for it, but get into God's word and know what it says. Follow humble leadership, is what Hebrews is saying. As I said earlier, in each place in the New Testament, when it speaks of elders, it talks about the character of an elder. Follow leaders in your life placed by God and follow them as they follow Christ. As we got into 1 Peter and I started studying 1 Peter this summer in preparation for this series, I went and talked to the elders of this church and said, I think this is a heart check for us. We need to make sure that we are leading God's people with the right motivation. 
So Joe and Jeff and I spent some time as your downtown elders. I spent some time with Brooks as the lead pastor of all of Grace Community Church talking about this. I spent some time with Josh as our executive pastor talking about this. I spent time with Joe and Jeff talking about this. Are we ready to say we are committed to being this type of leader? And I can say that Joe and Jeff and I, Josh, Brooks, we are committed to being this kind of leader. And I can vouch for them to say that they love you in this way. And they love Christ in this way. And I also sent this passage to Joe and Jeff and said, take a look at this, guys, and tell me if I can, with integrity, stand up and talk about this. Do you see me struggling in any of these areas? And if you do, I want to repent of those and I want to change in those before I talk to the church about it. That's how we want to be. We want to be submitted to God's word. We want to be submitted to the chief shepherd. So I want to lay out for you briefly here what to do as a church if you don't see humility in your leaders. There's a step-by-step process and it's not in our church bylaws. It's found in God's word. It's found in Matthew 18, and it tells you what to do when you need to confront someone. So I want to walk you through how to do this as the congregation with your elders, because this is what we would ask you to do first. Go to that elder and talk to them. Go to that elder and talk to them. And if you feel uncomfortable doing that, bring an advocate with you. Ask to speak to a couple of them at the same time or all of us at the same time. Ask to speak to them and their wives. Um, Ask someone to come with you as an advocate, your community group leader or someone you know well that's mature in the faith to come with you and to confront that elder about what you see in their life. If this doesn't go the way that it should go and there is not repentance and humility, then you talk to the other elders without that elder present. And you tell them how that conversation went and that there was a lack of repentance. If that doesn't go well for you, then appeal to the members specifically in this church because we have a membership covenant. And in that membership covenant, the new member of the church covenants to some things, but half of that covenant is the elders committing to the members. And one of the things we commit to is humble leadership and an open door policy that we'll be willing to listen to the church. So if you've talked to the elders and you don't like how that conversation went, go to a member in the church, if you're not a member, and say, the elders are not living up to their covenant and we need to do something about it. If this doesn't go anywhere, we have a members meeting the last Sunday in June and bring it up at the members meeting in public. That's what Matthew 18 looks like if it gets to the point where you have to bring it before the church. If you are a member of Grace Community Church and you have taken all the steps in Matthew 18 and you have been obedient as far as it depends on you to carry that out and there is still something unresolved with the elders of this church, come to the member meeting and bring it up in the member meeting. The elders of this church should be submitted to the chief shepherd and the word of God above all else. Lastly, how do we lead and love one another with a living hope? We look to the end. Peter says that one of his qualifications for giving this command to the shepherd 
to shepherd the flock of God among you is he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Leaders will give an account not only for themselves, but others. Those that they're leading and serving. We will all give an account for our lives. We need to live with the end and mind and see the mega theme in First Peter here of the return of our king. Advent is a longing and a waiting and a celebration of Christ's first coming as a baby, but it's also a look ahead to his second coming and his second coming, he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as the lion and the lamb and the one true king that will set up his throne to rule and reign forever. And some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will gather around that good throne of grace and worship the king. He will come again, and when he comes again, he will come in glory. And as we look ahead to the end, it puts our whole life in perspective, and it tells us it's not about us, it's not about our church, It's not about us leading others with our domineering or our words or our position. It's about pointing people to the chief shepherd. We all want to be in a healthy relationship with God. We all want to be in a healthy relationship with one another. We all want to be in a healthy church. And the Bible time and time and time again tells us that a healthy church looks like a church that is submitted to Jesus. With leaders and people submitted to the chief Shepherd. That's a healthy, joyful, loving, gracious church. And that is what we are being called to. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your maturity. Thank you for your humility. Thank you because it's a joy to shepherd this flock and to be a part of your lives and for you to be a part of mine. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you are the perfect leader who laid down your life for those you lead. Jesus, we pray that we would look to the chief shepherd and God, as soon as we do, we are humbled because we can never lead like you, Jesus. We can never live up to your standards, Jesus. That's why you came and you lived and you died and you rose again. And you will come again in glory. And we look forward to that day and we pray that we would live in light of that, Jesus. Thank you for what you've called us to. We pray that we would be a church that reflect your glory. And that we would live as people with a living hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.